know, everyone puts their trust in someone. You have no choice but to do that. Uh, everyone, every day, is given a certain measure of faith, and every day you use up every bit of that faith. Sometimes you put that trust in God. That's where I would hope that you would put your trust. Sometimes you put that hope in someone else. Sometimes you put your faith and your trust in yourself, but everyone uh, puts their trust somewhere. We all, we all do every day. So I, I would ask you, then who do you trust? If you were to think about the people in your life that you really trust, who do you trust? Remember a couple weeks ago I talked to you about the house keys to your home and that everybody has certain keys that they're really hesitant to give away. When you have the, uh, had to put the trust of your heart in someone, who, who do you really trust? Who, who would you give your credit card to? Who would you share your Amazon account with? You know, who would you share your most embarrassing fact with? Who would you share your darkest secret with? Who do you really trust? What I found in life is as you get older, it gets harder to give your trust away. And it's not just because you're old and something happens in your brain. It's because you've lived long enough to get burned. Where you put your trust in someone and they didn't hold up uh, their end. Uh, ha have you ever been burned? It's painful, you know, where, where someone shares a secret that you've told with them and you thought it was only with them, or maybe someone shared a vow with you to be faithful and they didn't keep that vow. It, it, it's, it's difficult. And, and because we are hurt whenever people don't, hold up their end of the trust bargain, we're hesitant to ever trust anybody again. And if that's you today, I understand, but I want to challenge you this morning to open your heart up once again to trust. And I want you to open your heart up to Christ because Christ has been, is, and will be faithful to you. He, he will be faithful uh, to walk with you in your life and to never, not once, let you go and leave you alone. He'll be faithful uh, to forgive you of the sins that you carry around and you try to shoulder yourself and the shame and the burden that comes with that. And he'll be faithful to take care of your future. So I, I encourage you to put your trust in Christ. Today we're going to continue a series called Jesus in His Own Words. And we're looking at seven statements that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. Uh, we call them the I Am statements, where Jesus describes in his own words what he's like. Now, this is week four, kind of the midpoint of this series. And what we found in these statements is that when Jesus shares them, he's sharing something about the nature of God. He's sharing something about his purpose of coming to earth. Or he's sharing something about why Jesus is significant to our life. Uh, for those who feel empty, Jesus is the bread of life. He says, I will sustain you. For those who feel like they're trapped in darkness and don't know what to do in life, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. For those who feel like they don't know where to go and what path to take, Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I am the way. Today we're going to look at how Jesus says, I am the shepherd. But in each of these, he was revealing about himself but he's also showing us that he understood he was God. 
We've talked about every week how the construct of these statements is very unique. In the Greek, it uses two words. Both of those words mean I am. They never put them together. But Jesus said, I go, I me, I go, I me, which means I am, I am. And boy, that should sound familiar if you know your Old Testament because when Moses was wondering what God's name was, God said, I am because I am. I am the great I am. Uh, And so Jesus was claiming to be God when he shared these statements. And today we look at this fourth claim where he says, I am the great I am, but I am the one who also meets your deepest needs. And today he says, I am the good shepherd. Now we're a little bit familiar with shepherds. Maybe you grew up on a farm or you've seen a documentary or you've read your Bible enough to be a little bit familiar with shepherds. But the people who heard Jesus' first words were intimately acquainted with the role of shepherd. Their history as a nation was wrapped up in the role of shepherding. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, shepherds. Uh, Their their economy was wrapped up in shepherding. Uh, Many of the the, uh, things that made their economy run were tied in to the role of the shepherd. Even their religious system was tied in to shepherding. And so so when Jesus says, I am a shepherd, their ears perked up. Uh, And and shepherds, they had a hard job, but sometimes it was an undesirable job, and often it was unappreciated. But they expected their shepherds, regardless of how hard their job was, to be trustworthy, to care for the flock, to feed the flock, to protect the flock. It's a big job, and that's why the title shepherd was ascribed to leaders and rulers and religious figures. And God said that they were to shepherd those under their care, and sometimes they did it well. David was known as a good shepherd. Uh, Moses shepherded his flock. Joshua, when he took over for Moses, was encouraged to shepherd them well. We see throughout their history people like uh, Samuel and Nehemiah and some of the faithful prophets shepherded the people of God. But there was bad shepherds as well. There There were bad shepherds who didn't, hold up their end of the the deal. Uh, And God was angry when religious leaders cared more about themselves than they did the people that they served. Or when kings were more worried about their affluence than they were the prosperity of the nation. Or even prophets who were more worried about being liked than they were telling the truth from God. And because these religious figures didn't shepherd well, the, the prophet Zechariah says that God's anger burns against the shepherds. He said, I'm going to punish them because they're not faithful. In Jeremiah chapters 21 and 22, Jeremiah's recounting the last four kings in Judah's history before they're taken into captivity. And he's talking about how far they moved away from God. And then in chapter 23, God speaks up and says, Woe to those kings, those shepherds, who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. This is the Lord's declaration. Maybe the most famous of these passages is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel speaks to the priests and he tells them the word of the Lord came and and he said, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds who've been feeding themselves. They should have been feeding the flock. You eat the fat, you wear the wool, you butcher the fattened animals, and yet you do not tend the flock. Verse 4, you've not strengthened the weak. You've not healed the sick. 
You've not bandaged the injured. You've not brought back the strays. You've not sought the lost. Instead, you've ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and there was no one searching for them, no one seeking them. I gave you this role, I gave you this job, and you didn't care. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because the shepherds don't search for the flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, you you hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. I am against the shepherds. I tell you that because that's the backdrop to the scene that is taking place in John chapters 8, 9, and 10. The, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were taking care of themselves and they weren't caring for the people of God. And even when God would show up and move, they didn't care. They wanted to make sure that their uh, lives were easy and their pockets were padded. They're not trustworthy shepherds. And then we come to John chapter 8. We'll move quickly through 8 and 9. Remember a couple weeks ago, they were at the festival of the booths or the tabernacle. The lights in the illumination ceremony had gone out, and Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. The religious leaders get ticked off at Jesus doing this. And Jesus always knew how to push the button of the Pharisees. And truth is... Truth will push your button. Truth will do one of three things to you. It will break you, and you have to deal with it. It will build you up and make you better or to make you mad. One of three things. Truth will always do that to you. And and here, the truth is making the religious leaders mad, so they pick up stones to throw them at Jesus, but Jesus hides, and he goes out of the temple. Chapter 9 picks up and says, As he was passing by, he saw a blind man from birth. While he's passing, his disciples ask him, Hey, teacher, you know, we've always heard that people are sick because of sin. Was it his sin or is his parents' sin? Well, that, that's just what they thought, what they understood. And at some level, people, sickness does exist in the world because of sin. But they wanted to, to pinpoint it on this guy. Did he do it or was it him or somebody else? Jesus speaks up and says, Neither this man nor his parents' sin." This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. And so Jesus does this miraculous thing. He takes mud, he spits on it, he rubs it on his eyes, and then he tells him, you go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when the man who was blind does this, his sight immediately comes. And the people are confused. They're confused because nobody who's ever been born blind regains their sight. It hadn't happened in the history of the world. And so they didn't know what is going on. So they thought, well, it can't be him. And some people said, no, it looks just like him. It's got to be him. And they said, no, maybe it's a body double. It's not him. They said, no, ask him. Is it him? And so they go and they ask him. And he says, yeah, it's me. I used to be blind, but now I can see. He tells them what Jesus did, and they take him to the religious leaders. And in verse 13, they brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. Verse 15, the Pharisees ask him, how did you get your sight back? He, Jesus, he put mud on my eyes and he, 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 
told me to go wash. I washed and now I can see. They, they don't believe this guy, so they bring in his parents. Uh, and by the way, if you're a parent here today, John chapter 9 is a case study on what not to do. They, they bring in his parents and his parents throw him under the bus and they say, hey, we don't know what's going on. You know, ask him. He's a grown man. So they bring the once blind man back in. They summon him a second time. They said, give glory to God. We know that this man's a sinner. Jesus is a sinner. Give glory to God. We're the right shepherds for your soul. He's not it. And he said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, and now I can see. Verse 34. He said, don't give us that. You were once, or you were born entirely in sin. We know you're a sinner. And you're trying to teach us. We're the religious people. We're the good guys. We're the shepherds. They throw him out. Jesus heard that they'd thrown the man out. I love this. He goes and finds him. He says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man was the title for the Messiah. Especially in the book of Ezekiel that we just read. It was the title used over and over and over. And it was something pointing to the one who was coming. A little Son of Man, Ezekiel, pointing to the big Son of Man, the Messiah, who was coming. Do you believe in the Son of Man that he's coming, the Messiah? The blind man asked, the once blind man asked, who is he? I'd love to believe in him. And this is rich. Jesus says, you have seen him. And don't miss that. It's not you're talking to him. It's not you have heard about him because he had talked to people and heard about people. But now this man whose eyes were blind are now open. And Jesus says, you have seen him. You're watching him talk to you right now. And I love what Jesus, or what, how the man responds. He says, I believe, Lord, you're worthy of me following you. And you're worthy of me worshiping you. And he bows down and he worships him. This passage is the background for John chapter 10. This passage is what's going on when Jesus speaks up and says, I'm different. Uh, How do I know this passage is connected to John chapter 10? At the end of our passage today, the Jews were divided because of these words that he's getting ready to say. And listen to what they're talking about. Many of them are saying he has a demon and he's crazy. Why would you listen to Jesus? All you people who listen to Jesus, why would you do this? Others said, these aren't the words of somebody who's crazy. These aren't the words of somebody who's demon-possessed. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? So that's the connection. You see that? In the midst of this, this backdrop, Jesus says, there are thieves and robbers who want to steal from you. There's unfaithful shepherds. There's people who try to lead you but don't care for you. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I'm for you. I'm not in this for me. I'm not trying to make my life easier. In fact, we're going to see that he gives his life away. But he says, you can trust me. Now, God could have simply said, Jesus could have simply said, trust me because I said so. He could have went into full parent mode. You know, you trust me because I said so. But instead, he earns their trust by leading them through relationships. One of the reasons I would tell you you can trust Jesus with your life 
even if others have let you down, is because Jesus will lead you relationally. Verse 14 again. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. He says in verse 15, explaining, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for my sheep. You probably noticed that four times it uses the word know. In Greek, it's the same word over and over and over. It's the word that's connected to the Old Testament word know that means to have relationship with. And it can mean intimate relationship as if between a husband and a wife, but it also can mean deep friendship relationship. It's used of Jonathan and David. It's used of Adam and Eve. And God basically says through Jesus in these words, I want an intimate, close relationship with you. And I want to pause just for a second and make sure you know that. I pray that you know that deep in your soul that God wants relationship with you. God's not just looking for some folks who will show up on Sunday and kind of, you know, make a a, a church pastor happy. He wants people who he can know intimately. God doesn't want you to just read your Bible so you can have some more facts in your head. God wants you to know him as you read his word. God's not looking for just some religious exercise so that you can do some things that kind of, you know, calm that part of your brain. God wants to know you personally and intimately. He wants to know you as a friend knows a friend, like a father knows a child, like a shepherd knows his sheep. Following Christ is not about information. It's about an intimate relationship. This week... My car with almost 200,000 miles, it had a hard week. For about three months, it's been telling me it was sick, but I was like, you can make it. I would get in and I would push the start button and it would go, and then finally, fire. But every now and then it would go, but then it would fire every time over and over i know that you mechanics are diagnosing it fuel pump or relay switch or something like that okay i get it i know wasn't a battery new battery good all good but it would fire well one day i was here at church and it was time for me to go home it was it was friday afternoon and it gave up the ghost on friday afternoon it just would not go i had to call triple a and I called a buddy who owns an auto park uh, place or an, uh, an auto store, and he's done all the work on this. He, he knows the name of this vehicle and everything. It's been in. I've been nursing it along. And I called him, and he said, man, I'm sorry. We are packed, slammed. We cannot work you in until next Wednesday. I'm thinking, Wednesday? I can't make it without a car until next Wednesday. So I decided that I would take it to another shop. And I called them, and they said, yeah, we can get you in, no problem. So sure enough, I wait for AAA. They towed me over to this place. He said, we can get you in today. We'll look at it today. Saturday, I didn't get a call from them. Sunday after church, I drove by. My car was sitting in the same place it was when they towed it over there because they were open on Sundays. That should have been a warning sign. But anyhow, uh, Monday, nothing. I'm getting frustrated. I go in. I I keep my cool because when I took it in there, somebody wasn't keeping their cool, and I was wanting to be a good Christian witness. But I took it in, or I went in, and they said, well, our mechanics have been sick. 
And because I didn't know them, my brain started thinking, they're lying. They were just trying to get me on the lot. If my buddy had called and said, hey, man, we're down some mechanics, I can't get you in, because I have a relationship with him, you know what? I'd have believed him in a heartbeat. They finally get it in. They start uh, diagnosing it, and they tell me that I've got a couple parts that I need to get. Now there's a part of me thinking, they're trying to scam me. I, it's like that new oil filter at the, or an air filter at the, you know, when you do your quick loop thing, you know, do you need a new air filter to keep your cabin? Well, you know, I thought they're scamming me. I don't need that. But if my buddy had said that, I'd have thought, oh, man, thank you for catching this. I would have never thought about that. You know, finally, I get my car. I drive it for a couple hours. I come to church, sit in the exact same spot. Nuno and, and uh, uh, who, who else, somebody else was with us. We get Bill. Nuno and Bill get in the car. We're, we're getting ready to go somewhere. Oh, I was mad. I call them in Christian love. <laughs> and they said, hey, man, we'll take care of it. It's probably this other part. We'll look it up and call you back. Well, sure enough, it starts, and it's been running ever since, and I think it's getting healthier, and I'm happy about that. But if my buddy had said he was going to call me, I would have known he was going to call me. This guy still hadn't called. You know what I found? You don't trust people that you don't have a relationship with. This is why it's so important for us to understand that God wants to lead us relationally. And the shepherd says, uh, I, I know you in a couple of ways. I know your voice. You know my voice. The sheep follow him because they know the shepherd. They know his voice. Uh, apparently, sheep can understand the cadence or the inflection of the tone of their shepherd. And because of this, they trust him. Now, over time... If you're a believer, you begin to understand God's voice. I've heard God speak to me, not audibly in like words, but I know in my spirit when God is talking to me. Sometimes I, 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 will, I will just be impressed that I'm supposed to do something. This is what I'm supposed to do, and I know it's God working in my heart. Sometimes I'll open the Bible and I'll read it, and it's just like God is jumping off the page speaking to me. Sometimes other believers will talk to me, and I can experience the voice of God. Uh, sometimes some of you say, uh, like about sermons, that God speaks to you through, through those things. Uh, I have people say things like, do you, do you have my house like bugged? Or something like that. Well, no, I don't, but the Holy Spirit does. And he knows exactly what's going on in your life. And, and, and not only does he know, do you know his voice, he knows your name. He knows you intimately. You know, many of you have pets, and my guess is you've named them. You know, very few people say, hey, dog, hey, cat. I kind of understand the dog. I have no idea about the cat. But very few people do those things. But one of the big debates in my home is how our 16-year-old dog got her name. Uh, my girls were little, and I thought it was because one of them wanted to name her Sarah, the other one wanted to name her Beth, so we started calling her Sarah Beth. I'm convinced that that's what happened. 
They say it is because they had a kindergarten teacher whose daughter's name was Sarah Beth, and they wanted to call the dog that name. Either way, they started calling her Sarah B., and I, who didn't want the dog, started calling her BD for bad decision, right? <laughs> this was a bad decision, and anyhow, whether you have a good dog or you have a bad decision, you name that animal because they're special to you and you have a special relationship with them. If you're going to buy a cow to eat, I advise you not to name it, Right? Shepherds loved their sheep and they had a special relationship with them. Can't you just see them coming in the pen at night and there's Blackie and there's Spot and there's Snowflake and Snow White and Wooly? I mean, can't you just see that? They didn't just have them come in the pen and count them off like there's one, there's two, there's three. How impersonal is that? And by the way, they'd have fell asleep before they got too long, right? You know, if you're counting those sheep. But the, what a picture of love. God knows you by name. His sheep uh, are known by him but he doesn't just know your name he knows the hairs on your head uh, uh, every one of them uh, he, he, he sees your life all of it even before one of those days exists God knows you intimately he knows uh, a, a, a thought in your head before it becomes a word in your mouth he knows you intimately he even knows the secrets of your heart all of them and the Bible says he loves you still. Our God is a shepherd who knows who you are, and he loves you. And because he loves you, no matter what, you can trust him. Uh, by the way, if there's somebody here who maybe feels real distant from God and doesn't know if God is real and is just feeling like, I, I want you to understand, no matter how far you've pushed away from God, God has never pushed away from you. He loves you, and he loves you intimately. He wants to have relationship with you. He seeks you. It's not an accident you're, you're here today. It's divine appointment for God to do new work and new life in you. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he's not the shepherd... And since he doesn't own the sheep, he leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand. He doesn't care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. They know me just as the Father, and I know one another. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Please get this. This is the point of the parable or the story, the illustration. You can trust Jesus because he loves you sacrificially. You can put your, your life in his care because he has proven that he loves you in the most intimate, sacrificial way. I hope you've had moments like I've had where you just knew that you were loved by God. I've had numerous times where I've experienced the love of Jesus. Sometimes in nature, I look around, I sense his love. There's been times with other believers that I felt his love. I felt his love through his provision. Times I've read his word and he speaks to my soul. It's like a love letter. But I want to be honest with you. Sometimes I go outside and I look at nature and I don't sense a thing. Sometimes I go to church and I just go through the motions. 
Sometimes I read my Bible and I get done reading and wonder what I just read. But there's one thing that always, every time, reminds me of God's love. And that is the cross. When I put my eyes and focus on the cross and I think about a man died so that I could live, an innocent man died so that a guilty man could be forgiven, the one who was the son of God died so that a mere mortal like me could live, I am blown away every time I think about the cross. This is, why Je- this is what Jesus was talking about when he said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's the greatest picture of love ever that Jesus died for you. There are some who preach every week, you just trust Jesus and you'll get that job, you'll get that wife, you'll have that kid, you'll get that car, you'll... That's garbage. That's just garbage. I mean, anybody who thinks that God's all about you having a great life for about 30 or 40 years is crazy. God is about you having a great eternity that you spend with him and he wants you to have that eternity so much that he allowed his only son to go to the cross and die for you so that you can have real life. Not life that's bound up in stuff that fades away or stuff that can be stolen, but life that can't be taken away. They put you in prison, that life's still there. They say you've got cancer, that life's still there. They put you in a casket, that life's still there. If you've got life in Christ, it never goes away. And that's why when I think about how that life came, when Christ spread out his arms and and died in my place, when I think about that, I always think of love. I think of love for several reasons. Number one, because his death was vicarious. He died in my place. He, He died for me. He said, I laid down my life for the sheep. That's us. Jesus offered himself as a substitute. We deserve death. He took death. We're full of sin. He's faithful. The shepherd, the God-man Jesus, who is infinitely above our value, died for us, vicariously taking our place. He also died voluntarily. Listen to verse 17 and 18. This is beautiful. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. God... God knows tomorrow. He knows the end of this story. But listen to verse 18. No one takes it from me. Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own. Jesus was not the victim of circumstances. He laid his life down because he chose to. And that's why he came. But there's one more concept I want us to see and we'll wrap up. His death was propitiatory. He satisfied the anger of God. I don't think I have to convince you we live in a messed up world where man has messed it up. Bomb threats at hospitals, gunmen at grocery stores, thieves and liars and adulterers, religious frauds. No wonder we don't trust. I mean, I get it. But let's be honest. How trustworthy are you? We're we're really not all that trustworthy. If people knew our deepest, darkest secrets, sometimes there's hate in our heart. And it comes up because somebody cuts us off in traffic. 
Sometimes we judge people because of the color of their skin. Sometimes we judge people because of the amount of money they have in their bank account. Sometimes we talk about a friend behind their back and smile to their face. Sometimes we cheat on a test and write our name as if we're the one who did the work. Sometimes we rebel against authority. Sometimes we just get angry before we know the facts. We've all sinned, but Jesus was good, perfectly good and without sin. So why did he die in our place? It was to pay for the sin that we had committed, to incur the wrath that we deserve, to receive the judgment that should have come on us. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might be right with God, so that we could be friends with God. He took our sin, our shame, our guilt, and he laid it on himself. He received God's wrath in our place. In Jesus' day, the shepherd had a unique role. They'd shear the wool from the sheep. They'd take care of the flock. They would breed them to increase the size of the flock. But there was another role. At times, the Old Testament law required Jews to take their lambs and slaughter them and sacrifice them on the altar at a Jerusalem temple to pay the price for the people's sins. Now think of the shepherd who had defended and led and sacrificed for the sheep. The sheep who knew him and trusted him. And now he's taking one of those sheep that he has named to kill it, to pay for his own sins. As I studied this passage, for about the last three weeks, this phrase kept coming to my mind. Jesus is different than the other shepherds because the shepherd became the lamb the one who cares for our souls became the one who paid the price for our souls. And if it's true that Jesus died for me and you, and I believe that it is, and if it's true that his death cleanses me of my sin, and I believe that it does, then I can trust him with my life because I have a shepherd who's good I have a shepherd who loves me enough to lay his life down for me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for your words and for the truthfulness of them. God, I know there's not a person here who deserves to be called your children and deserve to have hope in heaven. But I'm thankful, God, that you have given your son sacrifice for our sins so that we could be right with you. Lord God, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, speak to hearts and draw them to yourself. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.